Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, this is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We are greatly in need of awe, says Dacker Keltner. The, quote, goosebumps we feel when we see the Grand Canyon, or amazement when we watch a child walk for the first time. It is awe that opens us up to new insights or makes us more inclined to share and connect with others. So how do we cultivate more awe in 2023? Keltner, the UC Berkeley psychologist and happiness researcher, has ideas. And we want to hear from you. When have you felt awestruck? Join us after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. And in this hour, we talk about awe, or what we feel in the presence of a star-filled sky, perhaps, or when hearing a symphony, witnessing a basketball player's athletic grace, or even a friend's profound generosity. Awe is something that psychologist Dacher Keltner has been studying for a long time as the director of UC Berkeley's Greater Good Science Center, and he's written a book about it called Awe, The New Science of Everyday Wonder and How It Can Transform Your Life. Dacher Keltner, so great to have you on Forum. It's good to be with you, Mina. And so great to talk to you about something as awesome as awe. (laughs) You know, you rarely get a simple answer to this question that, as you noted, has been asked for thousands of years, which is, what's the secret to a good life? But in this book, you do give a simple answer, and that is to find awe, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, people interested in the good life right now are very interested in this concept called meaning. What's my purpose here? Why am I alive? What am I doing in the world? Uh, And what are the pathways to the good life in this sense? And awe is a pretty robust pathway to to the sense of meaning. When we feel awe, we feel connected to things that are larger than the self. Uh, Our bodies open up to new ideas, as do our minds. So it's a pretty good thing to go in search of these days. (laughs) Yeah, and you specifically define awe as the feeling of being in the presence of something vast that transcends your current understanding of the world. Mm. What do you mean by something vast? Yeah, you know, it, it's it's almost paradoxical to try to define awe, right? It's ineffable, it's beyond words. People yeah. have hesitated to offer crisp definitions for some time. Uh, in that definition, I was really influenced by the Irish philosopher Edmund Burke, and he said, awe is mysterious, 
uh, you know, it's it, we can't make sense of what we're perceiving immediately with our current knowledge structures, and then it engages reason and wonder to figure things out. And then to your question, Mina, it's vast. It's 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 beyond our current frame of reference. It's vast in size. You know, when you stand next to those basketball players that you mentioned, uh, that's you know they're seven feet tall. That's awe inspiring. It's vast. In terms of time, a lot of people think that music is awe-inspiring in part because it can transport you to vast temporal distances. And then it's vast in meaning, right? Uh, very often we're awe-inspired by big ideas. Uh, Darwin was awe-inspired by the idea that life is always evolving. It's a huge idea. Uh, so vastness can come in many varieties. But there are also very small things that make us feel awe, which are a counterexample when you look into a a microscope and CSL. Um, so, but in general, vast mystery is a good place to begin when we think about all. Yeah. Well, let me put out to our listeners when they have felt or experienced what you define as awe um, and, and what has inspired those feelings of awe within mm. them. You can tell us by emailing forum at kqed.org posting it on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter at KQED mm. Forum, or by calling 866-733-6786. You give several examples. Um, you just gave some now, but also some that might be surprising to people. You talk about how also awe can be in the face of incredible violence. Uh, mm -hmm. It's an experience that can happen when you're protesting incredible violence yep. um, and things like that. Is there a part of awe that is also tinged with, with, with things that are harmful that that can threaten us? Yeah, you know about, and you know people are going to think here I am the scientist talking like this, but about a quarter of our experiences today in different parts of the world have threat, peril, you know the possibility of death embedded in the awe experience. My daughter Natalie and I were backpacking in the Sierras last summer and a lightning storm came ripping over us. You know, and first we were like, this is awesome. And then it was hitting the ground, you know, one valley away. Whoa. And it was terrifying. So one way to help clarify our understanding of this complicated emotion awe is to note how how much threat is involved. And when there's a lot of threat involved, right, you feel threatened physically or psychologically, awe starts to transform towards other states like horror and terror. Mm -hmm. And it changes physiologically as well. You show more of a stress profile compared to what we show in more pleasant experiences of awe. So yeah, awe. You know, I interviewed Stacy Bear, a veteran who I collaborated with helping veterans reduce their trauma by getting outdoors. And one of his experiences of awe in the stories that I report on in the book is feeling awe in, you know, in Iraq and the horrors of that engagement. So mm. awe is very often arising when we face hardship, trauma, and stress. But, but it's distinct from fear, right? And distinct from joy. It is. And, and, you know, this is really important because the etymology of awe traces back to 8th and ninth century Norse and Old English, where it really was about fear and dread and horror. Right. We live in a much different historical time. Uh, we live longer. We don't die like we did in the eighth and ninth century. And awe is much more positive today. Emotions are always changing. And we've done a lot of work. I won't bore you with, Mina, you know, just showing how distinct awe is from fear. For example, we had people vocalize what awe is like and fear. And with awe, it sounds like, 
whoa, right? And fear yeah. is like, ah! You know, so, <laughs> to, right. Totally different profiles. It's incredible, actually, the similarities and the universalities of the way that people express awe when you did these studies, the kinds of uh, vocal bursts and woes and things that they describe. But you also say that they had similar patterns of things like goosebumps or, or their hair standing on end. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's so striking because awe is very personal. It's very culturally rich, right? We all have different versions of awe. And yet at the same time, our research shows how deeply human and universal it is. Around the world, uh, many different countries, people vocalize like I just did with a wow, whoa. The goosebumps is a, it's a little uh, part of your autonomic nervous system where the uh, chemicals cause muscle contractions around hair follicles that stand up on your back and in the back of your arms and you feel like, wow, I'm feeling this magical energy flow through my body. Well, that's actually not only a universal human response to awe, our research shows, but a mammalian response. Jane Goodall saw chimpanzees fluffing up their fur in looking at waterfalls. And if you look at the video, they look like they're in awe. And she said, wow, this is really the beginnings of awe and spirituality, to be amazed at things outside of the self. So there's a deep, deep universal structure to this wonderful emotion. Wow. Well, we've got calls coming in, and let me go to Ravi in East Oakland. Hi, Ravi. Thanks for joining us. What's on your mind? Yes. Uh, good day to all of you. Awe um, is, is an incredible thing. I experienced it the first time when I was a teenager at a musical event after coming from a family of dysfunction and violence mm. and drug abuse and alcohol and all this stuff, and I didn't mm. even know uh, peace existed, and I'm outside, and I feel all this love and line, and then I get inside, and the music somehow brought everything together where I touched this deeper part of myself that scared the heck out of me. I It really almost made me run out of the building, but I faced it, and I saw my whole self, I think, in a split second. I didn't know it at the time. It's taken me 40 years to figure out what happened to me that evening but it changed everything i went i changed my major from international marketing to music because i knew i had to touch that honest and i knew no other way to do it and so even to this day i live in the ghetto i'm a veteran who lives in pain and the honest is mm -hmm. so intense and the beauty that comes from experiencing it i just don't know how anybody can be unhappy or shoot one another or or throw garbage in the street, or hate their neighbors because of honest. And so we need things that give us this experience of honest. And I, I think music did it for me, and so I hope to do it for others with oh. music. Wow. It's very emotional to even yeah. talk about, because it, honest is like that. If you see honest... It made me cry so many times. That was just the first time. All the music kept doing it for many years. Oh, what what years. an inc incredible story, Ravi. I so appreciate you sharing that with us. Yeah, I um, felt motivated because honest is what we need. People are missing it. It's I don't know what it is myself, but I know that when I, I feel it, when I look at a flower, when I see a child, even... When I'm in an argument with somebody, it feels hmm. awesome. Honest is what 
we need. I love that point, Decker, that that Ravi is making because you do also just talk about the incredible psychological benefits that you have documented from people who experience awe. Yeah, you know, I couldn't agree more with Ravi, and and I hope we get to talk about music. Music touches our yeah. soul. You know, we learn so much about who we are, but. We need awe right now. You know, there's research coming out. You know, The Lancet, one of the great health publications, depression, anxiety are up 20, 30 percent, especially amongst young people. Um, you know, in our schools, our, our students are way too stressed out, et cetera, for a lot of very legitimate reasons. And awe, Mina, and this is one of the central reasons I wrote this book, is it's one of the fast tracks to just finding meaning and being healthier in mind and body. It it reduces your daily stress. It reduces your physical pain. It makes you feel, even an awe experience from music or nature by yourself makes you feel less lonely and more connected. Um, and it, it's good for the body. We found uh, that it is associated with reduced inflammation, which is this immune system process that's good in the short term, but very problematic when it's chronic. Awe reduces the inflammation of the body. So little doses of awe are about as good for you, seriously, as almost anything you can do to, to improve your mind and body. And you learn this through so many different experiments mm. that you did. I was struck by Robbie talking about how he is a veteran yeah. and how one of the things that you discovered about the kind of well-being that awe can create was through rafting trips with veterans and students. And, and we'll get into those after the break. I, I do want to just remind listeners that we're talking with Dacker Keltner about his new book, Awe, The New Science of Everyday Wonder and How It Can Transform Your Life. And we're wanting to hear from you listeners uh, what experiences have been awe-inspiring for you. 866-733-6786 is the number. You can reach us at KQED Forum on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. You can email forum at kqed.org. I'm Mina Kim. Stay with us. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. What's the secret to living the good life, one full of joy and community and meaning? Well, after 20 years of teaching happiness, psychology professor Dacher Keltner says he's got the answer, and that's to find awe. So we're asking you, our listeners, to tell us how and where, when you find awe. You can email forum at kqed.org. 
tweet us, find us on Facebook or Instagram, call us, 866-733-6786. Karen writes, in between storms, I was hiking up in the hills in Oakland and found myself in almost constant awe of how the fog and dampness made the light magical and the ordinary things I regularly observed, like the grass or tree bark that were newly vibrant. The colors were so rich, it felt like I could taste them. I reflected on how the same weather that created so much beauty in my experience was also responsible for awe-inspiring but terrible damage in other parts of the Bay Area. The incredible, vast uh, aspects of awe, as we talked about earlier, Decker Keltner. Um, but before the break, I was asking you about how you learned about the biological, the psychological benefits of awe. And one of those ways was through uh, rafting trips with um, two groups of participants, actually, with students and with veterans. Can you tell us a little bit about those trips and what you took away from it? Yeah, this was inspired um, by a long tradition of, you know, just thinking about the benefits of being outdoors. When we are outdoors in nature, as Karen writes, our, our minds and bodies open up like antennas and we drive all kinds of benefits. And it was inspired by my friendship with a veteran, Stacy Bear, who's a I interview a lot of people who are awe pioneers in this book. Stacy mm. is one. Came back from his uh, very frustrating tours in Iraq and Afghanistan, and he really worked a lot with veterans who suffer from about two times the rates of depression and anxiety as the ordinary citizen. And he's, he, he came to the conclusion that they're awe-deprived. They are feeling aweless in some sense. Um, he did a lot of great trips with the Sierra Club, and what he and I did as a study is we took veterans and then also high school students who are from really under-resourced schools in the Bay Area, literally students who hadn't seen a sky of night stars or camped or slept outside. And we took them rafting down this part of the American River, ironically enough, where I used to go rafting as a kid a lot with my family. And, you know, we a couple of really interesting findings from this. One is just the power of awe uh, in our veterans. We saw a 32% drop in PTSD symptoms of threat and disrupted sleep and rumination and the like for a week. Our, our high schoolers felt way more connected to their families and their friends. Those are impressive findings. And then what's also interesting, physiologically, we measured each individual's cortisol, stress hormone, at the beginning of the trip and at the end of the trip. And we also filmed them and, you know, for, with GoPro cameras. And as you might imagine, we heard lots of awe vocalizations, Woo-hoo! <laughs> you know, which is and they, what we found is their vocalizations, how they vocalized in terror or awe rafting down these wild rapids and their cortisol levels tended to converge and synchronize over the trip. Hmm. And one of the things that awe does, like at music venues or rituals in uh, a contemplative tradition, is it syncs up your bodies with other people. Uh, and as the poet Ross Gay says, you know, our porous bodies, we become open to others and we start to feel like I'm not actually a solitary individual. I'm part of this collective we, you know, and that happens at the physiological level. So a little discovery about all. Yeah, it's one of the sources or one of the most commonly cited experiences of awe you describe as collective effervescence. Yeah. Uh, talk a little bit about that and what the effect of that tends to be. It's one of my favorites, you know, <laughs> and, and Emil Durkheim was a great sociologist. He was after, like a lot of social scientists, like, what's the magic ingredient of the world's religions, you know? And for him, it was this, this collective effervescence, the, the feelings of 
ecstasy that we feel when we start to move in unison with other people. Um, and so what I, I track in treating collective effervescence is a couple of really interesting sources that I bet our listeners in the Bay Area will like. One is dance. You know, uh, dance is a deep human universal. And one of the things it does is it starts to sync up our bodies to similar rhythms from music that we call our own. That's our culture's uh, way of, of sort of expressing emotion in music. And suddenly through dance, we our brains synchronize. We feel like we're we share a common purpose with other people. Little children who to who move to a beat or a rhythm with someone nearby are more likely to help that individual. So dance gives us collective effervescence. And yeah. then sports, you know. Uh, and I got to interview Steve Kerr and just talk about what's magical about basketball and you know and moving in unison with others. And sports is a great source of awe that I was delighted to profile. Well, what's so interesting is that you say through this process, the self gets smaller. It's yeah. sublimating the self. Why yeah. is that so important? It's profound. And thank you for asking that central question, Mina. We have big structures of our, our brain and mind that are about the ego or the self, right, that represent the self, that separate us from others, that are about our agency and our desires and preferences. And we need that self to survive, obviously, right, just to make sure we find food and form relationships, reproduce and the like. But what's unique, in some sense, the defining shift in human evolution is the shift to the collective, that we are fundamentally, as E.O. Wilson, the great biologist said, a collective species. We survive and respond to the perils of our evolution collectively in groups. Uh, and we need processes or emotions that shift us out of the self-focus to a collective focus. And our studies show awe is one of the fastest ways to do that. Just a couple examples. Um, you know, if you look up into some eucalyptus trees, so prevalent in the Bay Area for a minute or two, our studies find you get less narcissistic, less entitled. We took students up to the top of the Campanile Tower at UC Berkeley, and they have this, this overview of the Bay Area. Whoa, look at the Bay. Uh, they become humbler, right? They feel more interested in other people. They share more. So awe gets us out of this narcissistic mindset that I think is one of the ills of today and orients us to other people and, by the way, our, our relationship to ecosystems. Hmm. Um, and and that's why I guess you you say that it is such a pathway to yeah. sharing and connecting. A few more awe moments that our listeners are mm -hmm. sharing. Paul writes, my awe moment came with an amazing display of synchronized flying that a group of small birds were performing over the 101 in Marin mm -hmm. a couple of years ago. It went on for days, and I missed it so much when they left. Jana writes, I feel awe in live performances, especially musicals, as the audience applauds and the cast take their bows. I'm overcome every time and feel tears coming to the surface. Tears. Ah, that's another yeah. one that you pointed out as a, as a uh, shared response that often comes with awe. Let me go to caller Patrick, who's been waiting. Patrick in San Anselmo, join us. Hi, Patrick. Hi. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Um, I wanted to know if you could talk about um, ways to sustain the process of finding awe as you age and more and more experiences become familiar you've done them before you've done the done the rafting and you've gone to the music concerts and 
and things and and ways to do that and uh, um, I know a lot of people will chase awe through artificial means and that can lead to destructive behavior and addiction um, uh, you, if you could sort of speak to how we sustain that process that would huh. be helpful thank you great question Patrick thanks yeah critical question Patrick and I agree on watching out for artificial means you know one of our discoveries that I write about in this book and this comes from um, research in 26 different countries is we asked people to write their stories of awe, and they, they wrote about eight kinds of awe, you know, and it took us a long time to code these and classify them. And, and they're almost like a personal menu of awe, being around the moral beauty of others, their kindness, a stranger's everyday generosity, nature, collective movement, music, visual design, contemplative practice, um, big ideas, you know, uh, the idea of democracy or the idea of evolution. And then, um, you know, just the life and death cycle, encount- seeing life born uh, and then watching life go. Our eight wonders of life. And to Patrick's question, you know, what we found, and this may surprise our listeners uh, with different methodologies, is that people can find awe two to three times a week pretty easily. You know, if you just open your mind, give yourself a little time, wander and wonder. And so what I suggest in the book is that you really rely on these eight wonders to sustain awe, to make it a regular part of your conscious life, right? To, for example, tell awe stories like we're hearing today uh, with others, to go on awe walks, which we've tested scientifically, nature immersion, right? Look at the sky. Take a one minute to study the movement of clouds. Think about what your sacred texts are. Uh, there are a lot of ways to sustain awe, to open us up to new forms of awe. And I would go, very practically, to ggia.berkeley.edu, where there are awe practices to sustain awe. I was really struck by a study that found that people who have less wealth report yeah. feeling awe more frequently yeah. than people with more means. Yeah. Why? Yeah, you know, <laughs> I, I think that's a critical finding, Jake Moskowitz and Paul Piff. Um, you know, there is a stereotype of awe. There are many that are wrong. It's just a religious emotion. No, actually, we're most awe-inspired around the world by the moral beauty of others. Oh, it's really rare. Um, no, you can find it almost every day. It requires a lot of wealth. I've got to hop on a plane and fly to that resort on the Australian Reef to feel awe. Not so. Um, Paul Piff and Jake Moskowitz found with really nice representative samples of individuals, the less wealth, the fewer resources you have, the more awe you feel. And that suggests that there are a lot of traps with privilege that undermine our experience of awe. We become too materialistic. We become too status conscious. We become too self-focused. Those are all correlates of, of wealth. Uh, and they get in the way of awe. And then more fundamentally, I think that finding tells us awe is independent of the world of money and transaction. It's really its own space of experience that we need more of. Is it also that 
when you have a lot of means, you can afford to be more isolated. You, you yeah. don't have to ride the bus or, or walk the many blocks to get to the pharmacy or something like that. Yeah. Because you talk about how novelty, just open being open to new experiences, unexpected things that happen are a source of awe as well. Yeah, that's such a important point. You know, wealth has all kinds of correlates psychologically that are probably contributing to the diminishing of awe. Um, isolation, they, you, you're more, you spend more time on your own. You miss opportunities for collective effervescence, right? Mm -hmm. uh, also, conceptions of agency. Do I control my life circumstances? I think for awe, you do need to have a sense that you, you surrender control, if you will, to forces bigger than you. Let me go to caller Kathy in Berkeley. Hi, Kathy. You're on. Hi there. Um, thank you so much for this beautiful, beautiful discussion. I wanted to share um, a moment of awe that I experience every day and that has been absolutely critical to my um, mental and spiritual health. Um, so in the spring of the pandemic, um, spring 2020, I was working at home alone. I had a young baby and I was super depressed. <laughs> And I took walks in my neighborhood. So I live in Berkeley, and my neighborhood is just full of, of gardens. Everyone's got a wildflower garden in front of their house. And I would take my baby for walks, and I started taking photos. And I had a really good camera, and I was able to get really close and see the details of all these wildflowers. Mm -hmm. And I would end up standing there on the sidewalk in a state of rapture, mm -hmm. of, of complete silence and stillness and sublimation of self, I was able to step out of rumination, step out of fear, and zoom deeply into vast spaciousness. That's our true nature. And I realized that what was happening wasn't just, oh, wow, what a beautiful rose. It was like I was entering the rose and mm. feeling it and embodying it. And then my son, he could feel me feeling awe. So then he's now, for the past two years, been part of that. He's five now. And every day when we go out for, for a walk, it's always, oh, let's go be amazed by something. So I get to do that with him. And so it's like this um, re reciprocal thing that feeds us. And it's just been mind-blowing. So um, I, the other day I realized awe is like one of the most important parts of my day. So wow. your story and your book is, is kind of blowing my mind today. So thanks. <laughs> well, thanks, Kathy. <laughs> Such a beautiful description of what it feels like to experience awe, to like enter, you know, the rose. Um, <laughs> Victoria writes, I feel awe every day when I look at my daughter's face, when I yeah. walk outside and see all the beauty in nature, when I just look at a bee on a flower or see the ocean. When I was under cancer treatment, I felt awe and gratitude for the work the staff at UCSF did for me and others. I'm so thankful for being alive on this gorgeous planet. You mentioned witnessing moral beauty as a yeah. key. Can you talk about examples of that, what you mean by moral beauty? Yeah, you know, this really surprised us. And isn't it wonderful to hear people's stories and how <laughs> poetic they are? Yeah, and, you know, they you are know. incredibly poetic. It yeah. Um, we surveyed, we've surveyed probably people in 30 different countries, right? Every imaginable religion, you know, economic status, et cetera, pol political structure. And and I we kind of thought that nature or spirituality would be the kind of main source of awe. But in fact, it was what we call, and Immanuel Kant called, moral beauty. 
we are moved very often to tears and chills and a sense of transcendent purpose by the kindness, the courage, the resilience, the ability to overcome obstacles, and the virtuosity of other people. And most often, you know, yeah, Mahatma Gandhi is morally beautiful and he moved millions, but very often moral beauty comes from just strangers, ordinary people around us, right? Um, so just to give you a couple of examples, like, you know, kindness, like, wow, my friend just gave her lunch to this unhoused individual reflexively, and you start to tear up. Uh, overcoming obstacles. I remember in one of our stories, a mom from Ireland wrote about her daughter who was born with club feet um, and, and then watching her dance on stage, you know, after being born with this physical condition. Virtuosity, you know, people are, are just astounded by musicians and singing in the voice. Um, and then courage, you know, there's a lot of awe we find in courage. One of my favorite stories we got was uh, a young son, a guy recalling his dad who was a bartender in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and you know, 1973, and, and the son walks in with a friend who's an African-American, and one of the patrons at the bar says, how can you let your son be with that N-word, right? Mm -hmm. And the dad goes up to this guy and says, like, you, you get out of my bar right now, right? And, and just chases him out of there. Uh, against this racist act, and the son was blown away, right, that that his dad had this courage just to stand up to racism like that in 1973. So, so this is a rich space that I think is done a disservice by, you know, always looking at Instagram to see how you compare to others and so forth. People love moral beauty. It's, it fills our culture, and it's an easy pathway to awe. And you feel like we have fewer opportunities to witness moral beauty because of social media in part? Or? Well, I think that's part of the, the, the diminishing quality of social media. And Jonah Berger has shown that we actually love sharing stories of moral beauty. So we need to do that more often in our social media life. Yeah. Well, loving these stories today, Red writes, look at your hands. You have hands. You have a body. You have eyes to see, ears to hear. Your body can move through this world. Red clearly experiences awe at our bodies, and listeners share with us what else brings you awe or what the thoughts uh, and comments from Dacher Keltner are inspiring in you. Stay with us. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. 
Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Dacher Keltner wants us all to find more awe in 2023, and we've been learning why and how his new book is Awe, the New Science of Everyday Wonder, and how it can transform your life. And you listeners have been sharing your questions about awe and also your experiences of awe. This listener writes, it was a starry night in the Karakara Mountains, an icy night in late November, in which the expanse of space made me feel infinitely small so small that I honestly felt as if I no longer existed. And yet I belonged to whatever was out there, which was a huge feeling in itself. Decker, one of the places that people brought up too, where they experienced awe was in witnessing death. Mm-hmm. And I want to ask you about um, a very personal experience of death that you share. You say your book is dedicated to your brother, Rolf. And you write about experiencing awe as he died uh, of colon cancer. And I'm wondering if if you could just share a little bit of what you you did feel and yeah. why you recognized it as a moment of awe. Yeah, thank you. You know, my brother Rolf, uh, my younger brother, in many ways my bigger brother, because he's bigger than me. Um, uh, he, um, we were born in Mexico and had kind of a, awe-inspired childhood in Laurel Canyon in the foothills of the Sierras, and he was really my companion in awe. And uh, he contracted colon cancer and after about a a two-year struggle passed away. And, you know, uh, in watching him pass away that night, um, you know, death is is a huge mystery, very obviously. Uh, it raises questions about what happens after and what is life and why do we feel people who pass away so close to us for years. I still feel my brother. I literally feel his hand on my back. Um, so it is this mystery. And in fact, I was reassured to discover in our research around the world, people told stories of watching someone pass. It's vast. It's mysterious. We don't immediately understand what happens when a, a, a spirit leaves the body or what, however we might make sense of it. And the important point, I think, for all of us, you know, Mina, is that I, after that, um, like a lot of people in grief, I was really um, uh, dis- disoriented and really struggled because he was so vital to my relationship to the mm. world. Dep- I was not sleeping, overheated, just anxious, gasping. And it was a main reason that I wrote the book is I, um, you know, I knew the science, uh, but I wanted I had to go find all, you know, I had to rediscover this emotion now that Rolf was gone. Um, and it taught me a lot about how vital awe is to making sense of loss, to move, transcend, to transforming and growing out of the inevitability of losing people we love. Yeah. And. So many of us have lost people that we've loved in the last few years. Um, Let me go to caller Monica in Washington. Monica, thanks for waiting. Hi. Thank you for having this program to both of you. I'm in Washington and still a KQED junkie. (laughs) Um, I wanted to bring up the awe of touch. Mm. I feel it's a huge component of the list that was given um, for, for me I used to do a little bit of massage therapy, and it was that instant connection between myself and the receiver that dropped, I think, both the recipient and myself into this sense of awe and mm. 
just into some kind of deeper place in ourselves, in this beautiful connection of, of, mm. of oneness in that moment. And I'm glad you brought up witnessing death. Uh, my ex-husband uh, died, and my current husband and I told what death with dignity, and we were administering his medication, and it was an awesome experience. Mm. So thank you. Wow. Mm. Monica, thank you. Mm-hmm. The connection between awe and touch Tucker as well. Did you yeah. want to comment on that? Yeah, it's a fascinating observation. I think touch runs through experiences of awe. We often feel touched, you know, literally and figuratively or metaphorically in experiences of awe. We feel touched by music, right? Um, and I, I look at it analytically, if you will, uh, in terms of there are certain physical things we can do that dissolve boundaries between self and other. Uh, one of my favorites is just deep eye contact. You start looking into a person's eyes. You listeners should go try it at a 7-Eleven right now, you know. And suddenly you're like, oh, my God, we're just one being. I feel awe, you know. And and touches like that, too, where certain forms of touch, suddenly this, this I believe, constructed boundary between self and other dissolves. We feel like we're one organism or however you would label it. And you can feel awe through those kinds of experiences. I did a. I was part of this big wave uh, that at a, a Oprah event, believe it or not, that I write about in the book, and that's just another physical example of dissolving boundaries. Like, well, we're all doing this wave together, and you know, and <laughs> we're eighteen thousand beings. Uh, so there are many interesting physical pathways to awe that are mm. quite surprising. Yeah. Well, let me go to Matthew in San Francisco. Hi, Matthew. You're on. Good morning. Good morning. What a great show. Thank you very much. Thank you. Um, I, I'm 85 years old. I've been sober for 41 years, clean and sober. And when I got sober, uh, I reached out to athletics, uh, physical things to get the high that I left behind when I got sober. And that worked for a while. And then I, I realized that Right next to me in, in the meetings that I go to every morning are the people that I, the eye contact that you just talked about, I had it this morning. Somebody, you know, told me their their short little story of what's been happening just over the weekend, over the holidays, and inspiring, you know. And I have been at maybe a, a dozen deathbeds holding hands with a person that's dying, uh, people that I, I sponsored in AA. Uh, one particular one was a Catholic priest who mm. lost his contact with his God and came to me and other men like me who had a contact with a higher power. And when he opened his eyes and he said, John, and he grabbed my hand, he smiled and said, I got him. And he died. <laughs> and I felt, I felt all like I've never felt before in my life. Mm. The high was Unbelievable. Wow. And, 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 I'm, and I've been packing that around for 10 years now, that same high, over wow. that one incident. That's amazing. And, 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 and it just happens between two people looking at each other and telling the truth, you know? Yeah. Something that I was unable to do until I got to Alcoholics Anonymous. Matthew, well, thanks thank you. Thanks for this you. program. You well, guys well, are great. 
Thank you. And, and such a reminder, Decker, of, of how accessible awe can be in the in the simplest of moments. Yeah. Um and and the importance of creating the kinds of opportunities to be able to be receptive to those moments. Yeah. Exactly right, Mina. And and what a, a great theme to profile, right? Uh, simple eye contact coming into to an awareness of other people. We did a study, Virginia Sturm at UCSF. We called it the awe walk study. People 75 years old or older just went out once a week and did an awe walk. They looked for mystery and uh, opened up their mind in this childlike sense of wonder. And over the course of the study, they felt more awe. They were more aware of things around them, and they felt less daily distress. Um, but uh, what it brings into focus, like you say, Mina, is you know there are so many opportunities for awe around us. I love... Soren Kierkegaard, the philosopher's quote of, you know, the chance encounters with the significance of insignificant things when you go walking out in nature or public. When I go walking now out in the Bay Area and I open my eyes, it's suddenly like, wow, there's there are little kids that are playing, you know, like they're in a store or, or at the preschool and, and look at the young lovers flirting and wow, here's some kids playing basketball, some young adults playing basketball. There's so much uh, good in humans that we can encounter if we open our minds through awe. Let me go to June in Los Angeles. Hi, June. You're on. Yes. Hi. Good morning. Thank you for a wonderful show. As the other listeners have noted as well, I'm just really touched by it. I wanted to say that I have been incredibly awestricken at moments of seeing great art. Mm -hmm. So when I had an opportunity to go to Rome and see a number of the pieces of art there, um, Michelangelo's work, I almost wanted to just collapse and cry mm. because yes. of being such a part of that. And then going to the Colosseum and seeing that and thinking about antiquity and how that is just so, uh, it was such a, uh, an expression of awe for me to know that I was able to witness that, to be there in that Colosseum and thinking about history and all that has occurred. And then the last thing is the idea of being able to touch and read documents of relatives who, have who are deceased mm. and what that has meant. I just read an obituary of a great-great-grandmother and just how it was expressed in that by people who wrote that obituary. And so just that connection through time brought that sense of awe for me as well. So again, I really appreciate the show this morning. You can tell my voice oh. is a little bit cracking mm. <laughs> because it is so meaningful. It is oh. so meaningful. Thank you. Well, June, thank you, and thank you for bringing in one of the categories of law that we haven't touched <laughs> on, which was just art and visual design. Yeah, you know, what what great stories, you know. Uh, <laughs> you know, visual art uh, activates awe through different processes that I write about. It it, it can give us a sense of time, you know, as June talks about, like, wow, this is really old. Um, I am, I'm, in, I'm a millennia away. Uh, it can teach us about sacred themes in the world, you know. And it also has this um, direct effect on us. It's almost like a hallucination where you immediately pop into a state of awe. You know, Rebecca Stone has studied the art and patterns of Mesoamerica. And, th and that is a primary function of a lot of Mesoamerican art is just to put you in a mental state of, wow, I feel awe. Uh, and I, you know, one of, I was lucky enough to have a dad who raised me in a, a lot of museums. Um, he's an artist, Richard Keltner. 
And now we're doing research showing, man, you put kids into art museums and you give them the right mental orientation and they get, they become better citizens, they concentrate better. So let's not forget the power of visual art and design for the meaningful life. Ooh, that's not. Uh, we are talking about awe with Dagger Kellner. I'm feeling, I don't know if I'm like approaching awe from this conversation. <laughs> like my heart is pounding and I'm oh. just so taken by everybody's stories. I agree. Um, but let me remind listeners that you are listening to Forum and I'm Mina Kim. Lots of comments coming in about what inspires awe and also questions. And I just want to get to a couple of them. Sure. I know early on, Dagger, we were talking about, you know, being careful for the kinds of means that we use for when yeah. we're pursuing states of awe. But Rob asks, with the decriminalization of psychedelics, how can that play into accessing awe? Well, a central hypothesis right now with all the psychedelics, the different compounds, both synthesized and the plant medicines of indigenous cultures, yeah. uh, a central hypothesis by Peter Hendricks and others in our lab in some sense is, is it's awe. It's these self-transcendent states of bliss and awe and ecstasy and reverence and gratitude that psychedelics produces, you know, and then you have to uh, look at the data and on balance, that's going to be good for a lot of people, I believe, but there are going to be risks that uh, one of our callers called our attention to, you know, if you're too vulnerable, too open, you don't have a set and setting that's safe and you attach yourself to the wrong things through psychedelics, that awe like the awe of a cult leader, right? Or, uh, Q, you know, some might argue, or I would definitely argue QAnon conspiracy theories uh, can get you into trouble. So we'll have to keep an eye on how awe fares in the psychedelic space. Well, Patty writes, I was blown away when my granddaughter at only five weeks and four days of age smiled at me when I walked in the room while mm. being held by her other grandmother. Um, mm. Kelly wants to share that I've been using the concept of cultivating awe for my toddler, as discussed. And the lovely book, Hunt, Gather, Parent, has really helped with stopping tantrums. Uh, Michael tweets, the summer I was eight, I went with my cousin's Cub Scout pack to a baseball game. A long bus ride took us to Tiger Stadium. After walking an endless series of dimly lit corridors, we burst into the seating area. The sun blazed over a carpet of deepest green to rousing organ music. Gosh, we have so many writers among Seriously. the listeners here. <laughs> um, you, Your book is called All the New Science of Everyday yeah. Wonder. And so I want to ask you about that. Do you think awe, we haven't studied it very much. Does it qualify as an entirely separate emotion? <laughs> it is definitely a separate emotion. And, and the data in the book tell us so. Uh, From the core ones we learned about back in the 70s. <laughs> yeah. You know, so, uh, you know, it, Descartes and others have argued that it's a basic emotion, a basic state of consciousness or mental state, and the data align with that at the expressive behavior, physiological, experiential levels. It is striking, you know, Mina, uh, the science of emotion is pretty young. It's only 30, 40 years old. The science of positive emotions is even younger. You know, it's 15, 20 years old. And then uh, it took a while to, for us to get to awe. Uh, and uh, now there is just a robust science from around the world looking at its brain and health outcomes and, you know, how it relates to music and spirituality and the like. And we're learning a lot about this fundamental emotion that is so vital to 
how we live our lives. You talked about consulting for the Pixar film yeah. Inside Out, and if there were a sequel that you'd want <laughs> awe to be one of the emotions, <laughs> what, would it look, what would it look like? What would it be like? What would I know. I pitched Pete Doctor. You know, they brought me in. They're like, if you could add one emotion to our five, I was like, it's got to be awe. You know, and they're like, dude, you know, don't get wild-eyed on us here. <laughs> Yeah, and and I didn't win that argument. Um, it 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 there is another inside out coming, and it may have a little role there. What would it look like? It would be you know it would be the young character Riley, the girl who's just awestruck by science and music and and social movements and the Bay Area and all that we represent, and finding her identity and and you know finding what is meaningful to her through awe. And and I think. It deserves to be a character, and I'll keep pitching it, but probably lose. <laughs> is the experience of awe that led you to the epiphany that finding awe was the key yeah. to living a good life? I mean, I guess what I was saying is we are awed by epiphanies. That's one of the categories. Yeah. But did awe itself trigger the epiphany, do you think? <laughs> yeah. You know, it was. there's a meta level here of, wow, there's a state called awe, and it does all this stuff. And even when I just think of the word, I'm starting to have epiphanies about uh, things. And for me, Mina, you know, the the big scientific epiphany, which I end the book on, is isn't it remarkable, as Jane Goodall said, that we have this emotion that makes the human mind amazed at things outside of the self, things like, as our listeners have been saying, music and art and starry skies and the moral beauty of others and people passing away. And it, it's still a mystery to me, and it still amazes me. Uh, and it is the epiphany of, of a scientist looking at all. You know, wow, we have an emotion easily accessible that, that brings us to this kind of understanding about the deep things in the world. Well, the listener writes, the infinitesimally small chance that we exist at all gives me <laughs> awe, that we are born human with an awareness of the universe and all being made of the same stuff fills me with awe. Well, Dacher Keltner, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been wonderful, Mina, as always. Th thank you for this book, Awe, The New Science of Everyday Wonder and How It Can Transform Your Life. Thank you, listeners, for sharing what brings you awe. And thank you, Susie Britton, for producing today's segment. You've been listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Here comes the sun and I say it's all right Here comes the sun Here comes the sun It's all right It's all right Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, and the Heising-Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.